Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Happy Taco Tuesday. You are watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to us, you're listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Assey. On today's show, we got George Kaloudis. Wendy O and Ben Schiller looking spiffy in that studio, Ben. You got our first story, I think rightfully so, given that amazing studio look you have. So what do you got for us? Thank you very much, Jen. Good to be here. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to start off with a story that actually published yesterday in the New York Magazine. Uh, it was a story uh, involving an interview with Gary Gensler, who of course is the chair of the SEC. And he repeated a statement in that interview that I think is important to reiterate, which is that he thinks that every token outside of Bitcoin is basically a security. And uh, this is an important point to, to make, although it comes across as a bit of a surprise. And it's basically uh, something that uh, he's been saying for a number of months, which the, the industry has failed to really recognize, I think, probably. And, and that's that uh, when you have an expectation of a return around a token, you can have a right to uh, say that that's a security. And that's what he repeats in, in the interview. And Gary Gensler has been uh, very much under attack uh, recently from Congress uh, following the fallout from FTX and uh, meetings that he supposedly have taken with, uh, with SBF, the Sam Bankman-Fried. And he apologizes for those actions and well, for, for not clamping down harder on uh, FTX. But he reiterates his point about most tokens being securities because they meet the Howey test. And that comes as a surprise, but shouldn't really be a surprise because it's something he's been saying for many months. Uh, and uh, he thinks that the, the only uh, token out there that isn't a security under his view is, uh, is Bitcoin. So I think this is uh, good news for Bitcoin and what he's saying, but bad news for the rest of the industry. And I think generally uh, the industry has been living under wishful thinking, imagining that a lot of these uh, token projects are not going to be finally uh, registered or clamped down upon by the SEC, but it now appears that they are going to be clamped down upon. So uh, that's something to talk about now. Well, George, I know you have an opinion on this because you wrote about it. So I think that you should set the stage for us here. Yeah. <laughs> Don't some make very me fight, George. <laughs> yeah, some very smart writer at Coindesk wrote this amazing piece about Gary Gensler and why his 
his take on crypto doesn't matter, right? And as someone who is intimately familiar with that author's thought process, I think it's worth actually sharing my, his core idea here. And for those who aren't unaware, I did write this op-ed. The idea is not that Gary Gensler and the SEC's regulatory actions don't practically matter. In fact, they really do. There are securities laws and there are financial laws here in the US. And if you break them, you could go to prison or you can pay a fine. It just depends on how rich you are and, how, and who you know. You know, you don't even have to be in the US. You can ask Arthur Hayes, right? He wasn't even in the US and he broke some financial laws and he went to prison. The, the idea is that even if you agree with Gary Gensler's take that Bitcoin is a commodity and all other cryptocurrencies are probably securities, it really doesn't philosophically matter. If Bitcoin was labeled a security, what does that really change about Bitcoin, the network? It really changes nothing. Yeah, it makes it harder for regular Americans to you know, get Bitcoin through their bank system, but it doesn't change what Bitcoin is. It doesn't change what any crypto is. The SEC sitting here labeling assets a security or not doesn't protect investors. If they really, really cared about market manipulation, then they would target market manipulation, right? Market manipulation happens in all markets. Commodities have market ma manipulation too. Bitcoin's a commodity. There's market manipulation there. There's market manipulation at auction houses, right? Is part of security now? It's just a naming convention as far as I'm concerned. And the power grab in Washington is quite frankly a distraction. Wendy, do you want to fight me? Yeah, I do. Well, actually, no, I actually agree with you. Um, I do want to say okay, this. Good. I would like to formally report myself to the SEC because when I was in community college <laughs> Don't about... Do that. No, I'm going to report myself to the SEC because when I was in community college, I would go to the thrift store and I would buy used designer and vintage goods and then I'd resell it on eBay in order to pay for my community college tuition because I didn't have enough money working my nine to five to pay for that education. And I was right at the income bracket to where you don't qualify for any of the FAFSA or anything like that. So Gary Gensler, please come get me for that. To me, that's what the Howey test sounds like when we're calling different things a security. There's people that flip stuff all the time. I mean, should Facebook get, or excuse me, should Meta get in trouble for having their Meta marketplace where people buy goods and sell them and then flip them and do vice versa? I really feel like that's what this is. It's just an, it's just an excuse. It's a pathetic excuse for him not to do his job, to keep getting a salary, and then just to continue to attack retail. That's what this is all about. And I actually heard over the weekend that they are going to be they're talking about or floating around the idea of increasing the institutional investor amount from $1 million to $10 million. And I think that that's absolutely appalling. And retail does need to get involved some way, shape, or form. So you can join me in the DCTA to ask Congress to step in and tell Gary Gensler that he has overstepped his bounds, because I think that's exactly what this is. It surely doesn't really matter what we think. And I think uh, people in crypto and people commentating on crypto have been thinking or saying what they think for, for a long, long time, while Gary Gensler, ever since he's come into the SEC, has been saying something different. He might not have been acting on it, he might not have been enforcing the logic of what he's been saying, but now in the wake of FTX and under pressure from, from Congress, he is acting. So uh, we can continue to sit here and say that it doesn't matter, but uh, I think the SEC does matter, and to pretend that uh, we're living in a different world than the one we're living in is, is a little bit sort of wishful thinking. Well, that's why we do yeah, need ben, to take action as retail, as, re as retail, especially in the United States of America. And there's organizations that you, people can join to have their voices heard. And I understand that a lot of people say the system is rigged. And I feel that way, too, especially seeing what's happening. But at the same time, if we just sit and commentate on it and not do anything, it's problematic. And I don't know any other organization in crypto that supports retail. Jen, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I kind of agree with a little bit of what everyone has, has said so far. I think Gary Kensler's focus on the Howey test continues to be frustrating because, you know, as we sit here and we talk about this almost every day, we keep bringing up how old the Howey test is, you know, and how it can be applied to certain things. Maybe it's not 
best applied to this very new technology that's only been around for just over a decade. And so it's kind of frustrating to hear that. But at the end of the day, what Gary Gensler says matters. It matters for public perception, which then informs government perception. And it doesn't only matter for government perception and public perception in the United States. I think the SEC and the U.S. government have influence all over the world. And we see as the U.S. government makes rules, makes laws, we see governments and other jurisdictions kind of following suit. And so I think what Gary Gensler says really does matter. And for him to come out and say all cryptos are a security except for Bitcoin because it falls into this very old framework from the 1930s is frustrating. I don't know if it's going to change anything. The fact that we're saying it's frustrating here on this show, but but I don't know. I don't know how to even end that. It is just frustrating. And we can move on to the next story. Well, again, folks got to join me in the DCTA. But anyways, we're talking, I think it's so funny. We're talking about laws from the 19, the early 1900s, considering we're in the 2000s now, but that were again, made for orange groves. I like orange what? juice. I don't, <laughs> anyways, even, I don't really want to get into that <laughs> argument. <laughs> Let's talk about Robinhood subpoenaed by the SEC over brokerage crypto business. They apparently revealed an investigation subpoena from the SEC back in December of 2022, which makes sense because they had some sort of ties to Sam Bankman-Fried. And in its 10K filing, Robinhood noted that the extent the SEC or court determines any cryptocurrencies it supports are securities, they could be forced to stop trading these tokens. So the only thing that I support for the SEC um, investigating Robinhood is to make sure that the assets, that they do have one-to-one assets on the exchange if people are able to withdraw them from Robinhood. Other than that, I think that it's just frivolous. And I do think that it is a waste of taxpayers' time and money. Who would like to take this story next? I'm just going to go super quickly. I was really going to say this is a little bit of a nothing burger story. I wasn't surprised by it. The subpoena concerned crypto listings, custody of cryptos, and operations. This makes complete sense that this happened in the wake of FTX's bankruptcy. I think the SEC kind of failed in the oversight of what was going on behind the scenes at FTX. And for them to now look into how crypto is being custodied at firms like Robinhood, I don't think is surprising at all. George, do you have something more interesting to say? No, you're, you're a very interesting person, Jen. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Come on, George. Aww, thanks, George. Well, George needs I'm to be Robin. on the show more often. We're on the topic of market manipulation. So like who better to bring in the conversation than the free brokerage that's for the people, right? Invoking the name of an English folklore hero. This guy's the fact that they're actually just selling your order flow to Citadel in exchange for no free trading. We can just laugh at the absurdity of regulation again. Wendy, you said that if the SEC determines that certain cryptocurrencies are securities, then they have to stop trading those cryptocurrencies. But why don't they sell other types of securities to their customers? I mean, they even sell options, which are quite more dangerous than any security out there. I mean, you can go to zero with options more easily than you can with even the worst stock ever. Come on now. I said that it doesn't matter what Gary Gensler said. I say it doesn't matter what the SEC says, but I beg you just a little bit of consistency, please. Just a little bit. I completely agree. I mean, I mean, given the kind of weight and burden of, uh, you know, unresolved issues uh, facing crypto to spend enforcement time on and nothing burger, as you say, like this seems like a complete stupid. So uh, I wish they would focus on more substantial (laughs) issues. Yeah. Wendy, you got last words on this one? We're literally using laws from the 1900s, guys, before there was fax machines. And it's just so frustrating to me to see that retail gets attacked. The poor, the underdogs, we continue to get attacked and they think that they're protecting us when in all actuality they're doing the very opposite of protecting us. Those are my final thoughts. 
<laughs> Can I add something about the Howie test? Please. This is America, right? We're founded on this capitalistic <laughs> ideal. What's wrong with having an expectation for profit for anything? Right. I love how that's usually the last bit of it where it's, oh, you have an expectation of profit? It's like, yeah, you guys think I'm on the show for free? I'm not writing articles for free for Coindesk. I'm not doing it out of the goodness of my heart. I need I built a thing. <laughs> What's wrong with that? This is America. <laughs> George Kaludis. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain, and Web3 startups, teams, and builders. Apply to Coindesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. We are now in the metaverse where tokens are surging. So Metaverse Token Gamium surged 340% after the project announced a partnership with social media giant Meta and telecommunications firm Telefonica. Gamium will work with the two companies on the Metaverse Activation Program, which is an initiative to help scale Web3 startups. George, I'm going to kick this one off to you. First, Meta has really been trying their thing in the metaverse. It hasn't been totally working out for them, but Mark Zuckerberg has been firm on his metaverse stance. He really believes it's the future. And now we have this partnership. Uh, what, do you, yeah. what do you make of it? Let's just, let's play a game. Jen, what does this thing do? Because you're going to have to convince me to care about this type of stuff. Like what is scaling the Web3 through the metaverse even really mean? That's a great question, George. And this is not a story that I'm going to come in and convince you on. This really okay. sounds like an incubation project, right? Where Facebook is going to provide support. They said they're going to provide some of their proprietary technology to Web3 startups that come into this incubation project. The telecommunications company, it sounds like they're going to provide some kind of infrastructure, but this isn't something that I'm going to convince you on. I think the metaverse is definitely super far away. But Meta's commitment to it is something that's quite interesting, especially as we see them losing billions of dollars on their thesis. So I'm not going to convince you on this. I think it is an incubation project for Biddle season. And it's important that, you know, I think Web3 projects get support. Yeah, I guess like <laughs> I am proud of Meta for kind of sticking to their guns. They used to have this big cash cow with Facebook. And they moved over to this meta idea. And they're really leaning into it, even though it's clearly not working. The market cap has completely fallen off a cliff and they're going to keep trying to do it. I, I just don't buy the whole, we need a token for this, we need a token for that, because I don't know why I would want to be involved with the meta version of the metaverse. I feel like that's the wrong way to do it. I feel like if we're going to go and be metaverse people, we should have the big old decentralized metaverse. But maybe I'm just having wishful thinking there. Wendy? So I just wanted to pull something up really quick. I know I should have sent it to control. I didn't have a chance to, but Baron, I, I was reading about layoffs for Meta and I believe they laid off over 11,000 people. So I'm very curious as to why they have money to pay for this type of stuff when they've let people off. So I don't know. Well, the stock went up after they, they laid off 11,000 people. That's how it what works, What a bunch right? of haters. I, what a bunch of haters. I have a theory. Sorry. It's called a riff. I have a, a theory. They, force. 
they hired 10,000 people for the metaverse, right? Then they laid off 11,000 people when, you know, the economy took a turn. I have a theory that programs like this will bring the skills that they were looking for from those people that maybe got laid off back into their ecosystem in a little bit of a different way so they can continue to innovate and leverage what people are building in Web3 without actually having to have them in-house. I don't know. Ben, what do you think? Well, I think uh, Facebook's uh, track record with uh, Web3 generally is pretty parlous. I mean, it started with uh, Libra, that failed. It went to DM, that failed. It was sold off. Then they kind of went on to the metaverse with the meta rebranding. That seems to not do very well. And then this is sort of, seems to be a classic case of kind of banging on a buzzword to try and make some uh, buzz. And uh, they seem to be making buzz, but it's not the same as uh, really building a real project with, with legs. So uh, I'm a little suspicious of this, but uh, I think it's good that they're trying. I think the whole thing about Facebook and Meta believe in decentralization, because on the one hand, we want to see the decentralized uh, metaverse, but uh, is Meta really going to be building that for us? I think that's really highly debatable. Yeah, I don't know if Meta is the one to take us to the decentralized virtual world that I know I dream of. But Wendy, I want to toss it off to you for the price action. From a trading perspective, are you watching like these gaming and metaverse tokens? Like, what do you make of these tokens surging so much and pumping on news like this, especially in a bear market? To me, I don't chase green candles. So I don't think anybody else should be chasing green candles unless you know how to trade this stuff. I think it's super, super risky to get involved in things that have pumped this hard in this bear market. I know there's some type of argument between if is it a bull market, is it a bear market, et cetera. I still think it's a bear market. I still think we're going to see a lot more downside. I would just be really cautious. What is it, George, how do you say it? Buy the rumor, sell the news? Is that, is that how traders are supposed to, to do their thing? Is that it? I think, that, I think that's right. I'm not much of a yeah. trader myself, but that's what I hear. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not buying it? I'm not buying something that pumps 300% in a bear market. Are you kidding me? These types of markets are protector capital markets. You're supposed to use minimal risk and protect as much capital as you can and consider making like solid plays. Just because Meta is in partnership with these people doesn't mean the project's going to do well or sustain, especially price action. As we've seen in the past, Meta failed miserably towards the metaverse. So I don't know if I would trust them or want to put money into the project just because of their partnership and hold long term. I would actively trade this though, maybe even short it, not financial advice. Yeah. And if, if my not financial advice as a Bitcoin maximalist means anything to anyone here, I guess if it's difficult to describe what the project does, say, Jen, when I say, what does it mean to scale the Web3 world and you kind of have to go through this gobbledygook to tell me what it is then are you saying i gobbledygooped because no, i'm just I'm not telling you, you what did. the story said okay i'm saying if people say why did you buy this and you say oh i don't know it went up 300 percent, then maybe rethink I, your thesis one of the things i will say is like even though like what we see in the gaming community people have their groups that they rock with that they resonate with so if somebody likes a particular game or a particular project they're going to be more likely to participate just in that ecosystem alone and again, we've seen this with gaming, like people that like Xbox Game 1 or Xbox Game 2, they are like gung-ho on that particular project. They're not really going to merge over and play a separate game for the most part. Like the gamers I know, they are like obsessed with one singular game and they play that thing 24-7, 365 and always ask mommy to bring them chicken nuggets and flat orange soda. Well, I will, I will say before we, before we move on to the next story, Gamium is not a metaverse that I'd heard of before. I went to their website 
it seems like they're playing with this like social metaverse idea where you create an avatar and then you can move around through different worlds and they envision a, a metaverse where you can like go to the bank and meet your friends mm -hmm. and and do all the things that we spoke about during the bull market and so i love I going if to the meta bank it's one of my favorite things i can't wait to do it in the <laughs> you, metaverse uh, yeah same you know i go there i check my balance i make sure everything is good you don't and use your, do it in your the, cellular in the device internet world. <laughs> no, no 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 i go I'm... to physical banks <laughs> All right, let's let's leave that story there. We don't know what's going to happen with the metaverse and Meta's metaverse is a whole other mind shift, Melt. I guess. George, take us. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Ben. Take us to the last story. Yeah, let's talk about Bitcoin. So apparently Bitcoin NFTs are a thing now and it's getting all sorts of people riled up, including famously strange Bitcoin core developer Luke Dasher. So Luke's code was listed as an NFT for sale on an auction website called scarce.city. Disclaimer is I'm actually an investor in Scarcity. And after the NFT was sold, Scarcity offered 90% of the proceeds to Luke. Luke is a pretty loud opponent of ordinals and Bitcoin NFTs. And because he didn't list this NFT himself, he insisted that the money instead be returned to the person who won the auction. Scarcity obliged and the sale is null. And for the record, I actually am on Luke's side here. This was his code to sell. His code, at least in theory, isn't really anyone's to sell. But if it was anyone's to sell, it probably was his. Good on Scarcity, I guess, for reacting in what seems like an appropriate manner by returning the money. But what I think this highlights is the kinds of things that the NFT skeptics are really on about. Digital things are so easy, replicable. And then there are these cool and important digital things out there that we want to somehow make digital collectibles out of. And it's really hard to determine who has the right to sell a copy of that digital thing. If this is open source code, who really owns it? Well, you're buying it, right? Because Luke Dasher made it or you know, he painted it. So isn't it Luke's to sell? What about tweets, right? What if I tweet an awesome tweet? Who owns your tweet? Is it me? Is it Elon Musk? What if I made it under Jack Dorsey's reign? I don't know. These easily replicable things suffer from being easily replicable. So how do we solve that? Well, we bring in the courts, of course. So what exactly do we accomplish here when it's who owns this piece of digital art or digital collectible. It's kind of wild to me. I don't know who wants to jump onto that. Uh, maybe Wendy. I just want to fight you, George, because um, you said it's a Bitcoin NFT. And in fact, it is not a Bitcoin NFT. It is an ordinal. And you have to get the verbiage correct or that's going to be the end of your career. Okay. You're not allowed to make yeah, these it's types an of ordinal, mistakes. which is actually a digital artifact, okay. which is an inscription okay. on a Satoshi using ordinal theory. Got it. Sorry about that. Yeah. Just Sorry, to, Casey. I had to correct you there. Want to I think that this, this is something that, okay, in the real world, we have different contracts that apply to these same types of art and same types of things, right? And the industry has been trying to solve for probably, for, for as long as NFTs have become mainstream, so the last two years, how we take these traditional contracts and port them over to the digital world. I know recently we saw the Meta Birkin trial play out in New York where Birkin to the artist of Metaburkins for offering that NFT collection. I believe that the Metaburkin artist lost the case. Someone can fact check me there. But I think we're going to continue to see this play out in the courts and we're going to see some precedent set when it comes to digital artifacts. Yeah, I, th I think the laws exist and they are easily transitionable and we will see that precedent set. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the Meta Birkin trial clearly came out against the uh, originator, the person that was trying to kind of copy the Birkin bag. But I think I agree with you, Jen. I mean, this is still an, an open case or an open question in this new era. Uh, I, mean, I think generally I, I agree with sort of this is open source technology and you have to expect that it's going to be used in different ways. And uh, maybe George can 
speak to this, but isn't the subtext here that people in the Bitcoin world and this guy, Luke, um, is, is very much a, that kind of OG era. He doesn't like Bitcoin being used for anything other than the original intention of Bitcoin. And that's what's really kind of driving this complaint that he has with this project. So uh, maybe that's what's driving this and not the actual uh, case of somebody copying this NFT or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think, yeah Ben, I think that you're right there. And I think the question he asked was, is it possible that Luke is only mad about this because he thinks that ordinal NFTs hurt the fungibility of Bitcoin? And I think the answer is probably yes, right? That's the reason we have these decentralized things, right? We don't want people who believe certain things to determine if I can use the money in a certain way, right? He's a pretty ardent Catholic person, and he would probably not want certain people using certain money because they go against his religious beliefs. I don't want him determining if I can use his money or I can use money. So I think it, uh, it actually highlights how Bitcoin's decentralized nature is fine. Like if I want to use portal NFTs, I want to make my stats inscribed or whatever, let me do it, man. It doesn't really matter. Wendy, anything that? I just want to say Bitcoin narratives continues to change. And I think it's a beautiful thing to see Bitcoin used for multiple different things. Bitcoin maximalists hated the idea of NFTs. So NFT people are like, you know what? Let's go ahead and merge over with the Bitcoin maxis. Let's go ahead and build cool stuff on Bitcoin. And then they get mad. I don't know what to say anymore at this Let's point. Let's actually like- run full nodes, which a lot of Bitcoin maxis don't even do. And yes, Bitcoin maxis, I'm calling you out. Go run a node. I mean, I think it's a bit like free speech. You know, you, you can either, if you agree with the idea of free speech, then you have to expect it to be used in ways that you don't like sometimes. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. Absolutely. Yeah. Just let's just hug it out, guys. Let's hug it out. All right. We got we to gotta wrap this up. We're going to hug it out after this. I'm Jen Sinassi. George Kaloudis, Wendy O, and Ben Schiller joined us today. If you love listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network, don't forget to check out Crypto Crook Season 2. That's debuting today. It unpacks the whole Doquan drama. Go check it out and we'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.